Today is a special day at Apostles because we are going to be installing into office and hearing the commitment made to the ministry by our new principal and our new fourth grade teacher. One might wonder, how do you go about getting a, a, new, a new principal or a teacher or even a new pastor? And that maybe gives us an opportunity to talk about the hiring process, but as we talk about it in church, we call it a calling process. Now, when people are looking for jobs and want to be hired, they look for positions that are open, and then they put their name into the pool of candidates, so to speak. They submit an application, they'll submit a resume, and then they have an interview, and oh, those first impressions are so important. But in the church, it's a little different. When there is an opening for a position to be filled, people don't submit their names. Rather, the church goes looking for people. Yes, we are given a list of names and given a resume with people's experience and education. But from that, we then make a decision based on prayer to ask, to call somebody to come and to serve us. Now, some might think there's some deficiencies in that and that you don't really get to know the person before you've asked them to come and and work for you. But the thing is, we already know what the people are like because God in his word has given us a description of his called workers. We are in a series of messages this month where we've been talking about faith builders looking at things that build our faith and how God wants our faith to grow. Today, we want to talk about the people that God uses to do that. So we want you to meet your servants, your called workers from God. But as Paul describes them, they are simply jars of clay. Let's listen to Paul's words from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, Since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled... It is veiled to those who are perishing. For the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is in the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. As I mentioned before, sometimes when people go about the hiring process or looking for a job, They'll submit a resume. I want you to listen to a resume of somebody applying for a church position and simply answer the question, would you hire this person? I understand that your pulpit is vacant and I'm writing to apply for the position as your pastor. 
Although I was not raised as a Christian and, in fact, actively opposed Christians for many years, I am now devoted to the faith. I have never received any training. And, in fact, I don't have any degrees on my wall, and really I don't have any walls to call my own. My preaching generally receives positive results, although a youth once fell asleep during a sermon and then fell out of the window where he was sitting to his death. I'm a little timid in person, but I am a prolific writer and I've been said to be very bold in my pronouncements. Although I've had health issues, I am praying to God for help, and these have not stopped me from accomplishing a great deal. Most of the churches I have served have been very small by contemporary standards, and I have never stayed at any one place for longer than three years. In addition, I haven't really gotten along well with other religious leaders in those communities. In fact, some have threatened me and even attacked me physically, and sometimes I've been forced to flee after my work has caused riots and other disturbances. Although I am well regarded as an organizer, I'm not a good record keeper, and I have even been known to forget who I have baptized. Most of the churches I have been involved with think well of me, and they have been willing to support me even during my several imprisonments. And I must also admit that I am responsible for the violent death of at least one person. But I've had several people convert to Christianity during my ministry, and I'm also responsible for a few healings as well. In addition, when the church has been unable to pay my salary, I've been able to support myself and my travels through a trade. Thank you for considering my application. Would you hire that person to be your pastor? Well, you should, because that's a description of St. Paul's life. Now, while we really can't find a lot of similarities between the good and the bad points of St. Paul and your called workers, we do see that there is one general similarity, and that is nobody is out of the ordinary. That's why Paul called us simply jars of clay, common objects to be used for a purpose. Now, in rating, you know, teachers like to rate their students and will give them grades. We're, we're going to give grades to your called workers, a description of them, and they all are Fs. Well, the first one is <laughs> that we've been formed by God. That's why we're clay pots. The prophet Jeremiah used that same picture to talk about God's people. He used the picture of a potter reaching down into earth and taking some clay and then forming a vessel. And he said, that's my people. When we think about the creation account, how true that is. God simply reached into the dirt of the earth and he formed us human beings. And we're proud to say then, that God has given us our bodies and our souls, our eyes, our ears, all of our members, our abilities, and our reasoning. We're proud to say with the psalmist that God knit us together in our mother's womb, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. You see, we don't believe that we're just a process of some chance happening millions of years ago. Nor do we believe that we're just the product of some continued biological process. We believe that God breathed into each one of us 
the gift of the breath of life. While clay pots can be rather common in their appearance, very average, so to speak, one would think that if you've been formed by God, you've got to be very special, perhaps perfect. And yet, if you look at us clay pots, you'll see we're not perfect. In fact, we've been broken, fractured by sin. Sin came into this world for, through our first parents, and with that they brought imperfection into this world and into our lives. We see imperfections, we experience it. Weaknesses, illnesses, the fact we have to work hard in school to learn, and we have to struggle at work to do things. But that imperfection reaches deeper than that. That imperfection also touches our character. There are times when we become impatient with others and unkind. There are times when we become very self-centered and boastful. And times when we also become hurtful toward others. We are, like this clay pot here, broken. And one would think, of what good is something like this? It should just be thrown down and smashed. That's what the prophet Jeremiah saw the potter do. When his pot was misformed, he simply broke it, swept it away. Well, we've lost the image of God. We've lost the markings of his workmanship. Of what good are we? But God in his love, though he was well aware of all of our imperfections, fixed us with his grace. Yes, he saw the cracks. He saw all the things that we have added to the mixture that try to improve ourselves. But he's removed it all because none of it helps. He has seen our brokenness, but he has fixed it with the perfection of Jesus. Listen how the Apostle Paul described it in our text. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, as he did at creation, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. You see, God fixed us with his grace. He took the perfection, the obedience of Jesus, and he put that in us. Now, you and I, we look at ourselves and we look at others, and we see our flaws. But God doesn't. He sees the perfection of Jesus through faith. How did that happen? Well, just as a potter will take water to soften the clay so he can reform it, so God used the water of his grace to remove the impurities, to reshape and cover over our fractures so that the glory of his grace would shine through. And now he uses us as his instruments, instruments, tools that are focused on a specific purpose, that of the ministry. The Apostle Paul said, we have this ministry by God's mercy. It's not anything we have done to qualify for it. It's purely because of God's mercy that he uses us in ministry as clay pots. Now, clay pots are formed and shaped for various purposes, some as vases, some as bowls. Some might be for plates, some might be for cups but they've all been formed by that potter with a specific person, 
purpose. And though they may look different, they still will be blessed by God. The Apostle Paul explained that in his first letter to the Corinthians when he said this, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. And so while, yes, we are all formed by God and have been fractured by sin, yet fixed by grace, God will use each one of us now, focusing us, giving us a purpose in ministry. That's why Paul said, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we don't lose heart. That is, though we see our shortcomings, though we struggle at times, yes, and we sin and sometimes suffer, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We don't use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, we recognize what our purpose and calling is, to set forth the truth plainly. And thereby, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. There's nothing out of the ordinary about your called workers, about any of us. We are all clay pots. Now, as you hear that, you might say, you know what? That means all those teachers and pastors, they're just like me. And that's right. We go through the same struggles. We face the same temptations to sin. We go through the same suffering. And we understand and can sympathize with what you're going through. And we have been called now to be used by God to help you, to guide you. You see, because we know we need Jesus, we also know you need Jesus. And more than just recognizing the need, we also know what Jesus can do. We know how he can comfort, how he can forgive, how he can heal, how he can guide and encourage and give hope. That's what we have been called to do, to be the tools, to be the vessels for God's light to shine. That's the ministry that Paul was talking about. He said, we don't preach ourselves. We don't tell you, look what I do, follow my example. No, we preach Jesus Christ as your Lord and ourselves only as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in your hearts too to give you the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. We're jars of clay, but God has called us for a special purpose. He has made us his servants. Ordinary people, that's all we are. But God hears that prayer that we just sang, that he make us a servant, and then God does something special. He fills us all with an extraordinary treasure, the gospel. That's why Paul said, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We've got a treasure. When you think of a treasure, you think of something that is precious. Let's take a look at exactly what this 
gospel precious treasure is. The Apostle Peter told us that what is precious to us is the Word of God. That through His great and precious promises, God has brought to us the message of our salvation. We can know what God thinks of us. We can know of our standing with God. We can know of His love because it's declared to us very plainly in His Scriptures. And that's what God has given to His called workers to proclaim. Your pastors and teachers here, yes, we're Christian, but we're people who have been trained in God's Word to know how to handle it properly and to use it to share with others so that you too may know of God's love and forgiveness, that you too may know the guidance and the hope that's in store for you. Those scriptures are precious because it points us to the one thing that saves, and that is the precious blood of Jesus. Listen how Peter, listen how and why he called it precious. He said, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. But you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. That blood of Christ that was shed on Calvary's cross was the payment that atoned us, that made us at one with God. That blood is what God has used now to wipe the sins away from us. We are all cleansed from every sin because Jesus gave up his life for our life. And through his blood, we have been given new life. That's why that blood is so precious. And that's what his word points us to. Then Peter reminds us, that our faith in Christ is precious because it's that faith that grabs hold of that blood. It's that faith that trusts that love in God. It's that faith that has assurance in God's promises and his hope for us no matter what happens in life. And so you're called workers. And you too, though we are jars of clay, we've got an extraordinary treasure inside of us, a precious gospel message of life. Let me show you just why it's so precious. Because he also calls it the power of God. And it's in j- uh, uh, jars of clay so that the power comes not from the clay objects, but from the, from the gospel itself. Just how powerful it is, is it? Paul called it the, the power of salvation. The power that rescues us. For everyone who believes, it is the power that saves us for eternity. Look at what's going on in the world today. I'm sure when you see the way the conditions of the world and the way it's heading, you become a little unsettled. Well, God said it was going to get that way as the world continues to head on toward the end. He said people will be lovers of themselves and haters of good. They will be violent and immoral and greedy. He said in this world, false teachings, ideas, and deceptions would proliferate so that it would deceive people and take them away from the truth. And they would only be headed for eternal destruction. That's what Paul was talking about when he said, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. 
The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We need to be saved. Not only from that bad influence that's around us, but the fact that sometimes it is inside of us. And the only thing that can save us is that pure declaration of God that says you're forgiven and saved by faith in Jesus Christ. That's why that message is so powerful. It saves for eternity. But I want to tell you something else. That message is powerful because it works personally in our lives to shape us for ministry. Like the potter who has his hands on that clay transforms that lowly lump of dirt So the power of the gospel transforms us from the inside out to make us people who are now willing to live our lives for the Lord, to dedicate our lives to serving Him. That means we see our time and our talents and abilities, our interests and desires, all as opportunities for us to serve God in this calling, to make disciples. That is to make other people believers and followers of Jesus Christ. Now I ask you, is there any more important work in this world than saving people for eternity? How precious then these clay objects become. What should your response be to these jars of clay? First of all, thank God for them. Last week I was reminded that my wedding anniversary is coming up. And I was thankful to the person who reminded me because I would have forgot about it, you know. So now I have time to plan to go to the dollar store and get something. But lo and behold, during the week as I was placing an order on the computer over the Internet for some church supplies, all of a sudden the screen showed up and said, Congratulations, you are a winner of a valuable gift. I thought, ooh, maybe I won't have to go to the dollar store. So I clicked on it, and it said, you can choose from these gifts. Now, one was some diet pills, which probably aren't good to give as an anniversary gift. But they had some funny names I couldn't even pronounce. I said, no, we don't need that. And then it had some electronic cigarettes, and said, well, we don't need that. But then it said some valuable jewelry. I thought, ooh. So I clicked on that, and sure enough, from the sparkle line, doesn't that sound romantic and valuable? The sparkle line of jewelry for free. So I clicked yes, and I placed that order. Now, why did I share that with you? I wasn't planning to do anything on the internet to buy a gift for my wife, but the opportunity came up. Whenever you see the opportunity to thank God for the blessings of your called workers who share with you the gospel that gives you eternal life, take that opportunity. Thank God and thank them. There's another thing you can do, and that is to, to pray for them. Uh, last week in Sunday school, my two little ones uh, were taught to make a little craft uh, for praying. And they had to trace their hand, and then on each finger, they were supposed to write people they would pray for. <laughs> so each one of them had the opportunity to write down their three sibling names, and then two fingers left. So you think, right, mom and dad. No, they wrote down the, the names of the two dogs.
So, so I said to them, uh, why didn't you put down mom and dad? And the answer back was, well, you're supposed to pray for us. <laughs> it's true. Your called workers do pray for you. But pray for us too. Because we're fractured by sin and fixed with grace, focused on a ministry. We have been given an extraordinary treasure and calling to share God's love with you. Amen.